This is the fan engagement chat where we hear about someone's approach to fan engagement. This is episode 61 with Stuart Dykes from SD Europe's supporter liaison, that's SLO project. SD Europe is one part of the legacy of Supporters Direct and works across Europe with clubs, fans, leagues and federations on how to implement the SLO role. Go to SD Europe for more. The SLO role was first seen in German football, but can now be seen across all of UEFA's member associations, including in men's professional football in England, in the top four divisions. My view is that the SLO role has never even come close to its full potential, often hampered by the absence of enough guidance from the leagues as to how to make the role work. In many clubs, it's something of an afterthought, often bolted onto another existing role, instead of being able to play its proper role of ensuring that fans are thought about in all the decisions a club makes. Stuart really is a mine of information and expertise on the subject. Anyone hoping to create an effective SLO role should listen to this episode. You won't forget you can find out more about our work at fanengagement.net. Register for free and you you can get access to the Fan Engagement Hub with more detailed data and case studies from the 2018, 2019 and 2019-2020 Fan Engagement Indexes and our other work. By the way, from now on we'll be publishing one additional week each Tuesday, including the Fan Engagement Chat, this one, Baz Chat with Baz Schneider, and Did They Ask the Fans with Tim Crow. Please like, subscribe and share, it really does help our visibility. Thank you for listening and enjoying the show. Right, Stuart, um, down down the line in, um, where are you again? Remind me. Um, well, I've just moved back to a small village uh, close to Hanover. In Germany. Okay. Uh, and um, you've been in Germany since the early 90s. That's right, isn't well, it? 1987, actually. 1987. Oh, God. Okay. Um, right. So, um, Stuart, for, for people listening, is um, the expert on the SLO role, basically, when it comes to anyone who needs to know or understand anything about the support liaison officer. Um, he works for. Um, the UA, it's still UEFA funded predominantly, isn't it? Or UA from com- combination UEFA and European Commission projects um, um, That's right. uh, that funds the the SLO projects, but it's essentially an arm of SD Europe, which is my old um, part of my old organisation. It's one of the remaining parts um, that's still out there alongside SD Scotland, um, and um, but fully independent. And um, you, well, until coronavirus, of course, you would traipse around Europe helping um maybe traipse isn't the right word but (laughs) moving around europe supporting um slos working with federations uh, leagues to understand the role to make it work properly now the slo has never been something that i've um, and certainly think fun engagement um but me personally i've never had a great deal of involvement in i never did when um when i worked with you Stuart, and when i worked for supporters director in sd europe it was always something that was that was delivered separately 
and worked on separately, but I've certainly observed a lot in the last few years. Um, and, you know, what I think are probably missed a lot of missed opportunities when it comes to the SLO role, but I don't want to dwell on um, where, where perhaps I think it's not been done right. Um, what I'd like to do is to try to, first of all, get people to understand what the role, you know, you were one of the people that helped to write the handbook and write the guidance on it. And you're, you're involved in writing the guidance again. Um, and the sort of, you know, the ABC of being a support liaison officer for the whole of European football, it would be good to just get a little explainer because I'm not sure everyone always understands completely what it's what it actually is and what it's there for. So can you just give us a quick rundown? Um, you know, a couple of minutes of, look, this is what the role is. This is why it's important. This is perhaps where it works and the best examples of where it works, just so people can understand it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Not an easy question to answer in two minutes. I mean, that's actually one of the things we often say that the SLO role is so is a difficult one to pin down because, you know, if you ask someone what they do for a living and they say they're a taxi driver, everybody knows what a taxi driver does. Uh, everyone knows what a baker does. But if you say I'm a support liaison officer, you normally get a blank stare. Um, you, we often say that the SLO is a bridge between the club and the fans. That's a very simple definition. It's basically someone who works for the club. It's not an individual supporter representative. It's someone who's employed or at least appointed by a football club to manage the dialogue between the club on the one side and the fan base on the other but not only in that relationship, but between the club and the fans and other stakeholders, such as the league, the FA, uh, non-football stakeholders, such as the police, transport companies, uh, you name it. Um, and it's about managing that dialogue, ensuring that there's a dialogue that taking place between the different parties, uh, but also creating the platforms for that dialogue to, to take place. Um, it's not about replacing a dialogue between fan organisations and the club. It's more about facilitating that dialogue, as I say, creating the platforms for that dialogue to, to happen and also to quality assure that dialogue, yeah? to make sure that we're having a meaningful dialogue. You know, I'm seeing now uh, clubs in response to the Super League fiasco launching fan forums uh, or whatever consultative bodies or whatever you want to call them and of course with this there's always a danger of them just developing into talking shops that get, you know we get together every three months or six months and have a conversation and then we all go home again and nothing ever happens so you know we would see that as one of the key slo tasks to create those the platforms for a meaningful dialogue and for, for one that doesn't just take place every three months, uh, but one that's ongoing and constant. Okay. Um, so, I mean, as I say, it's, it, there is a lot more to the supporter liaison officer role than that. And obviously it will depend on the context in which the supporter liaison officer is operating. You know, if you have SLOs in Norway, their role is gonna be different to SLOs in Greece or Croatia. Uh, and the same again, you know, if they're in Portugal, it's not going to be the same as Azerbaijan. So obviously a lot depends on the local context. But <clears throat> we would say, just to sum it up in one sentence, 
uh, it's about um, managing the dialogue and communications and creating the platforms for it and quality assuring that dialogue and communication. So um, number, I've got a few questions to come out of that. Um, uh, just out of interest, you mentioned Croatia and um, a couple of other countries there. What, and Norway, for example. What, just, just out of interest, what's the role like in Norway and what's the role like in Croatia if there is a common model? Because Norway, Norwegian footballs are not quite, I mean, there's member ownership in some cases. There are some private clubs I know they've got, you know, some common threads with, with your own setup in Germany in terms of locking off the community side of the football club and things, haven't they? Um, yeah. So that's a slightly different model from what you might have in Croatia. What's, what's the difference in the SLO role in those circumstances then? Well, I mean, if you take Norway, for example, they don't traditionally have problems with uh, football violence or hooliganism. So, you know, security matters, whilst the Nestle will obviously still be involved in pre-match organisation and match day operations and liaison with police. But, you know, given the size of the country, you don't have hordes of fans travelling to away games normally, but you can do in certain circumstances if there are local derbies around, in and around Oslo. But you'll tend to find that in Norway, perhaps security or, uh, you know, these kind of problems is not not higher up on the agenda so there will be different issues for them to be dealing with and there you also have an established uh, national supporters organization where you're having with a long tradition of dialogue with the football federation uh, and with the league um, so you know there are other factors in play um, so the role will look will look will look different depending on 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 the country in croatia it's again it's a different situation the role is not really developed in a way that we would have hoped it it, it would do there are, you know, it's beset with problems, uh, too much to go into here, but anyone who's dealt with Croatia will be familiar with the problems on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, and there, but their security, for example, will be a bigger issue. And even yeah. in terms of maybe security within the club, within the fan base with different factions and things yes. like this. Yes. So there'll yeah. be all sorts of different factors depending on whether a club is fan owned, depending mm -hmm. on the nature of the, the size of the country, the size of the different fan bases, and the different problems to say it will be a different focus uh, depending on the local context so so um the the phrase i wrote down was greece that turns the wheel it strikes me that they're kind of like the the and and sort of like the um the the keeper of the almost like the keeper of the flame <laughs> that, they, that they're the ones you know like you have a head of communicate like you have a director of communications in a in a in an organization the term slo is a bit misleading in a way because actually it doesn't explain the necessary, I think, by the sounds of it, the necessary seniority the role has to have. It doesn't mean that they have to be a board member. That's not what I'm saying. And that's kind of perhaps why it gets a bit muddled up and mixed because actually it's not about having someone at a particular place point in the hierarchy, in the organisational tree, as in you're a director of this, you're a manager of this. Um, they should be able to move across the club kind of seamlessly and talk to pretty much anyone because they are there to be the guarantor of, of almost the guarantor of the rights of the fans and the, and the rights for, for them to be heard and for that dialogue to take place. And it's kind of, it, create, it, it sounds to me like it almost challenges clubs, regardless of how they run the role, that it basically challenges clubs to run themselves actually a bit differently with, you know, with 
quite clearly, not just with the fan in mind, but you know, this is a real challenge from what I can see to, to, um, to how clubs operate, particularly where you've got the vast majority, say, in England or Scotland or lots of countries um, um, where you've got majority, you know, essentially clubs are privately owned, but, but we all recognise they're a bit different. The idea that you then have someone um, coming in being able to essentially wander around any part of a club in in the business of of, uh, of 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 ensuring the interests of the fans that that that's very uncomfortable for for clubs in any in any country where most clubs are you know essentially privately owned <laughs> and the idea that you let someone in to move around in that way is probably quite difficult for some of those places isn't it it's a big cultural challenge i don't think we've always understood that maybe um, well, there are three points that i think have come out of that and three very important ones and interesting ones um in terms of the hierarchy i mean the countries where the role developed the quickest like germany and sweden for example the slo role traditionally was not was not one that was high up the the management tree in in clubs you know it was a fairly low role if you if you want to put it like that in the beginning but I think as the roles has become established and people are becoming more and more aware of the benefits and actually understanding how the SLO fits in uh, and their sort of overall view of the workings of a club it's now seeing that we, what we're seeing now more and more is that clubs are creating their own departments, if you like, you know, I mean, I know you have the supporter relations departments in England, but what we're talking about in places like Germany are proper supporter liaison officer or supporter liaison departments where you have a team of SLOs. I'll just give you the example of Eintracht Frankfurt, where I think they have five full-time SLOs, two part-time, and then the DAO mixed in there. But they have their own department with their own budget and they answer directly to the club president or to the club CEO or whichever. And this, I think, is what we're seeing. And uh, it's a theme that we're trying to uh, draw out <clears throat> in our dealings with other clubs to say, really, I mean, traditionally, SLOs will find themselves in all manner of club departments, usually because whoever at that club was more interested in fan dialogue in the past, if it was the media director, then they might find themselves in the media department. In others, they'll be in the marketing department or the CSR department or the membership department or wherever. Yeah, but they never really had their own place. And I think, as I say, what we see more and more across Europe now is the growth of support liaison departments. Um, in terms of hierarchy, so that means, you know, you're getting a, a shift up the higher the hierarchy level if you if you see in, in that sense for the creation of these departments of course this is still not the norm we're still finding most clubs the slo is, will be parked somewhere in the in the organization chart there are some countries like switzerland which led the way in saying that the slo should be on the same hierarchy level as the club safety and security officer which we welcome and we think is a good thing because it places them on the, on level pe on level pegging you know on an equal footing if 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 you if you will and it also emphasizes the fact that the club the SLO should not be the safety and security officer so we're talking about two clearly distinct roles here and I think what's come out more and more 
in those countries where the role is fully established is it's people are really now beginning to appreciate that this isn't a fully a truly interdepartmental role now I'm, i remember taking the slo from ICA in sweden to an efl workshop many moons ago at birmingham city and he, he the way he described his role was i'm like a i have a floating role in midfield yeah it means i'm not really attached to any one department. You know, I, I might start my working week with a coffee with the club president discussing the events of the weekend and what's happened. And then I'm working with the marketing department on a new marketing campaign to make sure it's fan friendly or fan compatible. And then I'm discussing with the mar merchandising people, uh, new products, you know, that fans are likely to want trying to get fan input, you know, all these different things. Then I'm talking to ticketing, then I'm talking to safety and security, and then I'm doing this. And so you can see it's truly an independent, an interdepartmental role, fully involved in pre-match preparations, organisations, but not only that, and not only doing all the old service thing, like organising autographs for fans, but truly working with each department as an expert on fans, what fans want, mm. what fans think, advising them, making sure each individual department can make better decisions that will be more welcomed or have a better reception uh, from the fans. And, and what's, what that, the interesting thing for me is, and what I think is very interesting, and I can give you two examples, what that's leading to is the growing understanding and recognition at the highest level of the clubs, at club management, CEO level, president level, that the SLOs are perhaps the one, well, if it's one person or the only people within a club who have a true overview mm. of the whole club and its workings, yeah? Because they're dealing with everyone. You know, if you're in marketing, you're dealing with marketing, you might have a bit of crossover with merchandising and this and that and the other, or ticket sales. But, you, you know, 99% of the time, you're focusing solely on marketing tasks. Whereas an SLO, you've got that floating role in midfield. You're moving around. You can go, you go in there, you go in there, and you're doing this and you're doing that. And over time, we're seeing that SLOs are gaining a real overview of what's happening. And now I'll give you an example of a standard Liège in Belgium where they didn't have an SLO, but the club president was looking to work on, to develop a new strategy for the club going forward. And he appointed... Uh, he, he recruited someone to help him specifically on this project who was an expert in strategic, that he'd studied strategic development for companies and stuff or whatever, uh, uh, university. And he helped him to come up with it. He started working on the strategy. <clears throat> and the, what this, the, the, this president quickly realized that this guy was also a big fan of the club and he was well integrated in the fan base and he knew the fans and all the rest of it. And he was so pleased by the strategy that he'd come up with, he was working on. Um, he wanted to recruit an SLO, but he didn't see it as a full-time position at that time. So he decided to kill two birds with one stone. So what you have there is, a, is someone who's working as a, as a strategy developer for the club and also as an SLO because the CEO, in his wisdom, saw that this role truly was an interdepartmental one with that overview that I'm talking about. And we're working on the latest version of the SLO handbook for UEFA. We're not calling it that anymore. It's going to be a practical guide to support a liaison. Uh, 
And we, as part of that uh, process, we spoke to the CEO at Malmö in Sweden and completely independently of what's happening in Liège, he basically arrived at the same conclusion. Yeah, the, 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 the SLO at Malmö really is someone who knows the, the club inside out. He fully understands the workings and he sees all of the different departments. So he really does have that bird's eye view, if you like, uh, of, of how the club works. And, you know, that, that CEO says in our interview, you know, the best decision I ever made was to appoint this SLO because he's the guy who brings everything together. And, and, and interestingly, you, you talked about non-fan-owned clubs. Well, Malmo, of course, is a fan-owned club. So in everything they do, they answer to their members. But Liège is not. Liège is not a, a, a fan-owned club. But independently of each other, the, 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 the chief executives there or the presidents have come basically to a similar conclusion and, and seeing really the whole, the full benefits of an SLO who is, who has the trust of the fan base, who has the trust of the people who works with inside the club, has the trust of the, the other non-football stakeholders such as the police and gives you that real overview and a full picture uh, and so we're not only talking now about dialogue and communication. We're really talking about a, a, a vital cog in the workings of a, of a football club. And, and the clubs that understand this mm. and manage their SLO teams in this way and, and allow their SLO teams the freedom to work in the, that floating role. You go, you're not, your role is not to mark their opposite number eight or whatever. You go wherever you need to. Yeah, and, and do whatever you have to do, and 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 if you've got the right people in place with a fully full understanding of the fan base, complete network with everyone, it, it can really offer some huge benefits for the clubs. And as I say, we're seeing now more and more clubs like Marmo and Standard uh, coming to appreciate that. Hi, I'd just like to introduce you to Match Day Digital, the world's first football-first digital magazine platform, bringing together premium paid content from clubs' Match Day programmes, popular football magazines, newspapers and high-quality fan-produced fanzines. What a list. It gives access to a bigger choice of content for fans and for publishers, a far wider audience than would normally be available through their own print editions or digital offerings. You can download the app via Google Store and Apple Store, or you can use the native web app. Go to matchdaydigital.com for more. And if you're a club or publisher, drop MDD a line. They're a lovely bunch, and I'm sure they'd love a chat with you about your needs. Well, I mean, I, you know, I'll say I can, I can, I think my sort of initial point about this being quite an, a challenge to the way that clubs are set up, certainly in England. And as I said, I think a lot of other clubs, I think actually, I mean, you know, we can maybe get obsessed <coughs> with the fact that, um, you know, um, that the, 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 the clubs over here are majority, you know, generally privately owned, because actually it's, it's, it's a challenge to the cultural model of football in, in a lot of countries, which is someone's in charge and they make the decisions. It's kind of the cultural model of running a business in many, many cases. So it's sort of when, you know, when you, when you throw something like this in and so, well, throw something else, when you create something like this, it's understandable that people are going to get a bit confused. It's understandable in some cases that some people won't want um, won't want a role that's that expansive um, because it feels like you're having your homework marked 
um, you know, it's su it's such a in some in some senses it's such a big shift. But actually, it's also it strikes me it's a bit of a no-brainer um, because it it also is as well in a sense is a bit of a can be a lightning rod role in that it you know it gives you an early warning system. For example, if you yep. mess up um, or if you want to avoid messing up on a you mentioned a marketing deal there you know the idea that you might go to your slo well it's that's a per you know they might then go right well look, i'm gonna have a chat with the supporters trust about that or with you know with that ultras group that we've got um but i can i suppose as well the other problem is i can sort of see why i know there have been issues with some supporters groups and they look at the slo role and they go but that's going to supersede us but actually it shouldn't do at all because the point again you've and it's such a, perf a wonderful explanation that you gave and the illustrations you provided is that actually, no, it's meant to enhance it because it doesn't block you from talking to the chief executive or the president or the marketing director. What it means is, is it, it directs those conversations better, more efficiently. It means you're talking about the stuff that's, that's um, valuable and important. And, you yeah. know, because, you know, most supporters groups are going to <clears throat> be stuff full of volunteers you know, they don't have time to waste on frivolous conversations about irrelevant things. They need to be very targeted and representing their members. So, you know, actually, I mean, I'd, I would always have said this anyway. It's a great opportunity. You know, that explanation you've given has provided a clarity for me that I've never really had about it. Mm. And I still talk to some people, you know, um, in my work um, where we talk about the support liaison officer role. And I don't think... There are any I've not seen anyway, certainly with a lot of the clubs I've dealt with or the people I've dealt with, that people have, ne have, have fully seen the potential for this. Um, oh. In, I think in English football, I know we don't, I don't want to just solely focus on that, but but it could really, I could see it could really work um, if it's embraced um, much more wholeheartedly and understood in that way. I'll, I'll be honest with you. This is something that's only really come to light for us in, in, in let's say, the last two years. You know, when we met Quentin from Standard, the SLO, there, and he told us the story. But you know, it's. I mean, what we've been guilty of, perhaps in the past, is seeing we we tend because a lot of the countries that we work with, it's you know, it's about security. It's about you know, making sure the match day passes off without incident and stuff like this. And we've been guilty ourselves of see, sometimes falling into tr the trap of seeing the SLO solely in terms of prevention, uh, match day operations, policing, and, and stuff like this. Uh, but, and there's so much more uh, to the role, and uh, it's an evolving role. And, you know, the beauty of it is it's evolving across Europe, and it's in each place it's evolving differently. And before we only had Germany as the reference point. And then, you know, Sweden's come along at, you know, high speed, developed really well, and you've got a really progressive uh, football league in Sweden that has helped that process along. But in each country, it's coming on differently. And I would say now we've perhaps got, well, we have our European SLO network where I think we have about 21, 22 countries represented. And that's probably a fair re reflection of where we are, that we've got, that amount of countries where the role is either quite well developed, reasonably well developed, or still, you know, still evolving. And then we have <clears throat> one or two countries that's kind of mid, mid, well, not a mid level, but where it's not really started. 
you know, in the Balkans and stuff with one or two exceptions. And what ten, people tend to forget is, you know, that maybe 25 of the countries of the 55 U, uh, UEFA countries are really small uh, countries where, you know, you're getting attendances of a couple of hundred. So the, the challenges are very, very different there. But as the role is developing, we're, we're seeing new aspects to it. And this strategic aspect to it is something that's really coming out now. And, as I said, and also I would say this trend towards, you know, uh, uh, the development of sport liaison de uh, departments, which is obviously being led by Germany because you've got huge SLO teams there in, in part. But you mentioned the word lightning rod, and that's interesting because the Germans would normally talk about SLOs as seismologists. <laughs> it's a bit complicated, but, you know, they are the ones with the finger on the pulse yeah. and they can feel the rumblings. Yeah. And so... Um, you know, it's about helping clubs to make better decisions. And whether the club is fan-owned or not, it shouldn't really make a difference. Um, I remember we sent an SLO from Sweden once to Denmark to talk a lot of, to a meeting of club CEOs. And they were, they were delighted by, the, by what they heard. They didn't understand the SLO role, to be honest, beforehand. But then they saw it as, uh, oh, if we do this and do this, then, you know, we've become better and we'll make more money. And, you know, obviously we've always said to clubs, look, the reason you have an SLOs is not to make more money, but it, it, if you do it properly, that will be a pleasant side effect. Yeah, that's the side effect of it because you get happier fans. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you make better decisions. You yeah. don't make mistakes that you might make. You know, we, the, there are num legions of so many examples of clubs making mistakes expensive ones because they didn't le listen yeah. to the supporters or didn't consult the supporters at, at all. Yeah. So, you know, that lightning rod or seismologist pointing out problems. And, you know, for, as far as the fan organizations are concerned, and I know in, in England, I think there is, a, there is a certain element of this that perhaps there's a, a suspicion or a fear that clubs will, will use the SLO as a way of sidestepping mm. the dialogue with the, with the fans. And, and, to a certain extent, maybe it's true, um, but it shouldn't be. As I say, the SLOs are there really to create the, pro the platforms for dialogue, to facilitate it, to make to improve the quality of the dialogue. And there's no reason why fan organisations shouldn't be able to meet with the CEO or the club chair or whoever it is independently of the SLO. But it, and let's be honest with you, most of the stuff that SLOs deal with is is... You know, it's not all high-level stuff. Most of the stuff is just routine, banal, day-to-day -day stuff, uh, maybe organisational stuff about getting flags in the ground and stuff like this, operational stuff, you know, um, and the high-level stuff, okay, that will happen. And if and fans should know, you know, if they, if they want to contact someone at the club, then it's ideal to have a central point of contact where you can go to you know, the SLO might not be able to help you themselves, but they know who will be able to help you in that club. So it's about, as I say, facilitating rather than replacing uh, dialogue. Okay. And, it, and it's encouraging, just to kind of wrap that bit up, it's encouraging that you mentioned standard liaise, you know, privately owned Belgian football club adopting a position very similar to a member-owned football club on their SLO. And so actually... That, they've uh, arrived at the same conclusion yeah. from two different starting yeah, points. Yeah, totally. Perfectly illustrates the fact that it works regardless of your ownership model because it's often been, I think, a reaction, a response, which is, well, 
I've never understood this thing about, you know, if you're not a fan-owned club, why... I mean, surely if you own a football club, it's got to be your interest to have a happy fan base. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and to have things working. And, and that point about money, you know, it's something I've tried to kind of explain that, look, good, good engagement isn't um, going to make you more money. And if you do it on the basis that you think good engagement is going to make you more money, you probably won't do the engagement right. But if you do the engagement because that's how the club runs, that's what you have to do, then your business will run better. Ergo, you probably will make more money. It will be a pleasant side effect. Um, and just get that get that right. Build the business as it's meant to be, you know, operate the business as it's supposed to be operated. Have the listening in there. Have the grease, as I said, that turns the wheels. The SLO in there who, the seismologist, I like seismologists. I think that's actually a more positive <laughs> rather than standing there taking bolts of lightning, which is my life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Seismologist is a great term, you know. You check... <laughs> You know, you're a weather forecaster. You're a, I you're, think the big you know. mistake that a lot of clubs have made, especially in England, well, not not maybe that's unfair, but the mistake that I see when we're talking about fan engagement and stuff is, I mean, a lot of a lot of clubs are focused on families, but you know, we know why they do that because they've done the research and they've found that the pro capita spend by mm. families is highest, so that's why they're focusing on families. But what? Why do fo- families go to football? I mean. As in, does anyone, no one really asks that question. And this is why I mentioned the Swedish Football League and, their, and you know, how progressive they are because they did their research and they understood the, why do people go to football? It's not because they see brilliant football every week and their team's winning things because most teams don't win things. They go to football for different reasons. And what they found in Sweden was the prime reason why people go to football is the atmosphere. Yeah, it's the atmosphere. And you remember as a kid going the first time you went in the ground, the green pitch, the floodlights, the colours yeah. of the shirts, whatever it was, the yeah. sounds, the smells, yeah. all that. That's why people go to football. Yeah. And if you want families to go to football, you create that atmosphere that will yeah. get them hooked. Yeah. And, and so don't fight your ultras. Yeah. yeah. Don't fight the fans who are creating the atmosphere. They're your best allies. I was, I was your talk- biggest assets. I was talking yesterday with um, <clears throat> with the, with the journalist Tom Watt, um, and um, and he was saying exactly this. He's an he's been an Arsenal fan since you know since he was a kid, but he lives in Cheltenham and goes to Cheltenham Town. And he was talking about um, the, the the reaction after they got promotion amongst this group of of young fans who had been given a kind of a little bit of the ground to kind of make their own. And he said, those, those kids ranging from, you know, early teens up to their early twenties. And this was, you know, having to celebrate away from the players um, when COVID was, you know, in March, when we were, when we were still under some form of lockdown. And um, he said, you've got those kids, you know, the bulk of those kids, they're there for life. Now you've got them. Mm -hmm. And that's because you understood them, the club understood them, and it and it invited them in and said, yeah. "We want you here." And you have to you have to take sensible decisions about policing, and you have to sometimes be a bit more pragmatic with how they, you know, they maybe don't stand uh, sit down as much as you'd like them to sit down if it's a stand with seats in it in this country and that kind of thing. But you know, if you make sensible decisions and you work with an SLO, then um, then that becomes a much more attractive place. And when the little kid comes along with their dad and mum, or their, you know, or their, you know, another family member or friend, and s- sees and feels and hears that noise and that atmosphere and environment, 
they might be you know they're the next ones on the path to being hooked absolutely they they want they they can't wait until they're old enough to go and stand over there with the ones yeah. making all the noise and what the SOs at your garden have done in sweden where my colleague lena works yeah. they've created a, a kids section but it's a, not your ordinary kids section it's a kids section for whatever kids from 7 to 14 where no parents are allowed yeah. <laughs> it's idea. just the kids and they have an SLO, and a, yeah. They have people there who are just looking after the kids. So not only are they cultivating the next generation of fan base, but it also gives them a chance to impart the values of the club to the kids. Yeah. yeah. At the same time, i.e., you know, fairness, tolerance, no violence, or you know, everything that you want. And then they offer a service for parents who are a bit, still a bit worried about their kids going to football because they've heard all these things, you know, nasty stories about hooliganism, violence and stuff like this, you know, come along and we'll show you how we operate. We'll talk about our values. We'll show you the kids section and we'll explain to you what your kids are doing and stuff like this. And what they found is even more and more parents are saying, oh, this is great. And I'll, I'll be a season ticket holder myself. But as long as they understand they can't, they're not, yeah. you know, if their kid wants to go to the football on their own, yeah. then they will do. And they, But they have got that safe environment that's, yeah. you know, uh, to do it. And, it's they're cultivating, as you said, the next generation. The kids are there for the atmosphere. You want the families, create the atmosphere. So stop segmenting. You know, my, my message from this is stop segmenting everyone. Start seeing the the whole and the overlaps yeah. and the relationships. Between the, the most interesting thing about that research in Sweden was the amount, the percentage of fans who aren't who aren't fans of the club actually going to the games. Mm. Yeah, and they're going because it's a. You know, obviously you get people who are just going for the event and next week they'll go to the cinema or they'll go to tennis or, or wherever. There's always that element. There are a lot of football fans, people who go because it's it's the atmosphere. Yeah. And it's exactly. about how can we convert them yeah. to becoming fans. So Stuart, could you just give us um we'll 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 go, you know, we've we've done we've done an extraordinary um, amount there. Um what I'd just quickly like to cover is a little bit about some of the projects you're doing at the moment and some of the partners you work with outside of just the clubs themselves. Mm. Um, so, um, and just, yeah, so sort of touching on, um, um, yeah, the, you know, the projects you're running at the moment. Uh, well, I would say we've got three main, three main projects. And the biggest thing that, we've, that we're doing at the moment is, as you mentioned right at the beginning, I mean, we started, we were appointed back in September 2010 by UEFA to help them for, um, implement Article 35 of the licensing regulations, which basically is the one that requires their clubs to have an SLO, at least one. And as we've been developing the role over the last 10 years, we've seen we really need uh, <coughs> proper training for SLOs because there's a lot of demands on SLOs. Everyone wants this and that from the SLO. There's, you know, pressures from chairman, supporter groups, police, you know, and it's a difficult job to try and balance, get it right and keep everyone happy. So training has really moved to the forefront of what we do when we partnered with, um, with the UEFA Academy um, and launched the S UEFA SLO education program back in 2020 with the Danish Football League and the Russian Football Union as the first two guinea pigs, so to speak. And this is becoming a real, um, you know, a real mainstay of the work that we're doing at the moment. We've done sessions uh, in Germany, in France, in Belgium, in Portugal, 
um, one or two others I've already forgotten. Um, but it really is about raising the standards and professionalizing the work. So, you know, that's, that's one thing. And we're delighted that UEFA, are part of, uh, you know, partnered with us. We basically designed the, uh, the program. We bring the knowledge on the support liaison, but then we benefit from UEFA's expertise in delivering training, all the resources that they have at their disposal, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's going, that's going really well. So that's the one, um, one part of the work that we're doing. Um, another part is the European projects that we do with funding from the European Commission, as you mentioned. The, the, the first one we did in, um, in the area of the SLO was called Liaise. It ran between, it ran from 2018, 2019. Um, and the main outcome of that, apart from action plans, for, SLO action plans for the various countries that were, were partners in that project, the main outcome, intellectual output, as it's called, of that was uh, a draft resolution that is in the moment, at the moment, in the process of going through the various EU channels, and it will be submitted, hopefully, well, it should be before the end of this year, will be submitted to the Council of the European Union. So essentially, it's the uh, interior ministers of the 27 EU countries and it's a resolution, a draft resolution on police liaison with supporter liaison officers. Yeah, because I did mention we have this focus on security, but obviously it's an important pillar of the work, but not the only one. But essentially what this is, is we're asking the, the Council of the European Union to consider this resolution. We're working with police forces across Europe on this, um, and the European Group of Football Safety and Security experts um, and the really exciting thing about this is, is there's a growing recognition within the police right across Europe that well in the past you know police tended to look at football matches as public order events yeah where it was only about public order it was not about facilitating the game and allowing supporters to you know travel and, and watch the game in comfort and, and stuff like this it was solely public order uh, fans as potential criminals or the rest of it. But there's this grown recognition now within the police that service and inclusion, as they call it, uh, and, in, and dialogue and communication with football fans to make sure that the, 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 the match day passes off. You know, it's the best possible experience for everyone. Um, and <clears throat> if we can get this resolution through, what we will do then is uh, apply for funding for another project, which will then concentrate on delivering the training to police forces, people or football policing experts and uh, police who are responsible for policing football matches and club SLOs to really make sure, or there are still too many countries where police and SLOs are, are not working together properly. And if we can get this project through, it won't be a law uh, but it will be soft law. The countries won't be, um, the EU member states won't be obliged to implement the contents of this resolution. It's 13 pages in their own legislation, but they will be expected to comply with it. So this is a really milestone development for us if we can get it through. And I'm told it's almost 19, you know, it would be expected to be passed because it's a, a valuable contribution, if you like, to public order. Mm. 
uh, and also creating the the <clears throat> the environment for football matches to pa pass off in the way that we all hope they they will pass off. So European projects, that was the one that we've already had. They're currently in uh, running a preparatory action in, in conjunction with the Premier League and the Scottish Football Association, who are two of our partners in, in a preparatory action. It's called Transfer. It's in the area of mobilities. Basically, what that means is we've got some funding. Uh, we're working with six partner countries uh, to send... What we're doing is pairing clubs, SLOs, and their safety and security officers and sending them across Europe to visit their counterparts in different countries. Mm. And we're developing tools for these exchange visits. We're developing tools with which we can gain, which, which we can um, gather all the knowledge and expertise and the findings of these exchange visits uh, to then use as best, best practice the knowledge transfer project knowledge transfer the project is called transfer trans Indeed. transnational ro uh, role exchange or shadowing mm. uh, etc uh it's just during a pandemic is not the right time to organize a program of exchange visits but that was the call from the eu it's as i said it's a preparatory action for potential future erasmus plus projects uh, if it works but we're just at the point now where um, we're doing the needs analysis from the different partners because obviously we need to find out what they want to learn from this project. Mm. But we will be going ahead as soon as the corona um, regulations allow for the exchange visits. So these the projects, you know, obviously we're grateful for the funding from, from Brussels. These are really useful projects for us to develop the role. And it, it, I, sometimes I wake up and think, well, what are we doing as a supporters organisation organizing exchange visits for clubs but that's the nature of our role for uefa you know we're service providers for uefa and we're trying to improve this so we're not always working with fan organizations in in what we do on the slo side yeah um and the third thing is well we took advantage of the of the pandemic if you like it's not really the right word to use but you know obviously we normally we would be traveling two or three times a month to different countries to help uh um fas and leagues and clubs to develop their slo work we can't do that and that's clear so we decided to use the <clears throat> the break so to speak to revisit the the s the uefa slo handbook which was written in 2011 so it's already yes. quite out of date it mm. was because of the nature of the role at that time where it was only developed in in germany uh, if we're honest it was very much a theoretical uh, document mm -hmm. and what we've been asked um well we're always asked wherever we go you know when when are we going to get more information that's practice based you know good yeah. practice mm -hmm. case studies examples of how you know if we're a smaller club how can we approach the role so we engaged um Tony Ernst, who's the former chair of the Swedish Football Supporters Union, also an editor by, by trade, uh, journalist and whatever. Um, and he's, with his help, we've put together the new SLO handbook, if you like. Uh, we're not calling it a handbook. It's in line with other publications from UV. It's going to be called the Practical Guide to Support Liaison. I've got the first layouted version in my hands um, on my desk at the moment. We're just proofreading it. So it's going to go out in the next few weeks. 
Um, but we hope that this is going to be a really useful document. You know, we're already speaking to national associations about uh, when when things return to normal after COVID, about taking the next step, or in some countries it will be a new start mm -hmm. uh, to to kickstart their uh, SLO work again. And all these different tools that I've just mentioned, the training, the education program through the UEFA Academy, in part the uh, the European Commission project with the transfer, but also the handbook. These are really useful tools to help us re-establish our relationships with the national associations and leagues and the clubs and the SLOs. And we're hoping that you know this document will contain lots of useful information that people can refer to. It's it's just it's a series of uh, of interviews with people from the different stakeholders to say what's the impact of the SLO role been for you. And then we have six different case studies and different. So we hope, you know, people will will find something in there of interest to them. Um, we hope it's going to be a useful development. And in the finally, I think in the wake of the Super League fiasco, you know, we're seeing in our discussions with UEFA, everything's up at the air at the moment. We're recalibrating the relationships between football associations, governing bodies and fan organisations and fans, um, as I say, in the wake of the, of the Super League fiasco, and people have seen how important the role of fans can be and the role that fans, especially in England, played in helping to, to defeat the plans of, the, of those clubs. Mm. Uh, and I think this, and we sense it definitely, a growing urgency on this part of the governing bodies to, as I say, to recalibrate the relationship with fans. So there's a lot of exciting opportunities for us who have that experience, who have that established relationship with uh, governing bodies like UEFA to really reassess what we do and say, how can we, how can we improve the way we work together? How can we look at new ways of involving fans in the decision-making processes of football associations and leagues and also at UEFA, yeah? And if you look at everything that we've been able to do through the SLO developments, um, we recently did a document where we basically outlined what we've done for UEFA over, uh, since 2017. And there are so many different things and so many good examples of projects where we're working together with national associations and leagues for the good of the game and for the good of the, you know, um, relationship between, <clears throat> between the different stakeholders that, are, as I say, I see some exciting opportunities there for more fan engagement, for more fan involvement, uh, for better support at liaison, for um, stronger SLOs, right across Europe, because we're honest, we know that it's not developed fully in many countries. There's still a hell of a lot of work to do. When we started on this, we thought it was a four year project and then we'll be finished. Mm. We've been, we're in our 11, we're in 11 years now and there's still a lot, a lot of work to do. A lot of countries where the role hasn't got off the ground yet. And as I say, we'd, we'd, every time, every week almost, we've seen new, mm. New things coming out. I mean, you know, when I mentioned the strategy and the interdepartmental nature of the role and what that means, new implications, new findings, new insights all the time. Mm. Uh, they're going to help us, um, along with all the other things, to really kick on now. Hopefully, once COVID is, is uh, um, you know, once we're allowed to travel again. Yeah. Uh, so I see. I think it's the future is bright. 
Mm. Uh, we're getting, we're evolving and we're getting better. Things are improving. Uh, it's been a long struggle. It's still a struggle, but we're getting there. Good. And where can we find, um, where can we find everything for yourselves? Is it all on the SD Europe website? On the SD Europe website. Yeah. It's sdeurope.eu. Lovely. Uh, and obviously the new, the, the new handbook or practical guide to support liaison will be posted on, on our website, on the UEFA website, uh, on the UEFA Academy. You can find out information on the education program there uh, on transfer. All It's all on our website, yeah. And on our tw various Twitter accounts and Instagram and LinkedIn and whatever else we're on. <laughs>Hope you enjoyed that edition of the fan engagement pod why not dip into our extensive back catalogue featuring interviews with scott mcleod from everton paul barber from brighton and hove albion the head of professional game relations at the fa andy ambler episodes on policing supporter liaison fan driven marketing social media and dialogue perspectives on fan engagement from carl fitzpatrick from warrington walls liam scully from lincoln city owners chief executives governing bodies we talk about public relations communications and marketing international perspectives we speak with politicians and more and we've also got Baz chat our insight into the commercial side of fan engagement with Baz Schneider and did they ask the fans with Tim Crow search fan engagement chom, ch uh, pod and tune in on your favorite podcast app I'll make sure I put my teeth in for the next episode and please do like subscribe and share it does help our visibility in a crowded podcast world